Welcome, and thank you for joining us on this Friday morning. I'm Evan Bray. The end of another work week. Friday is here, and milder temperatures, too, making their way into Saskatchewan for the weekend. Maybe a little bit of snow, too, off and on flurries right now in the province in a few different spots. And then very nice, very mild as we head into next week. Some parts of the province are predicting plus temperatures into into next week, which is... Not a bad thing, that's for sure. Certainly will be good for the teachers if they're out on strike on Monday. We're hearing, of course, now that is the next step in job action for them. A full-day strike on Monday. We are going to continue with this education discussion this morning. The teacher strike, student scores, education funding, complexity in classrooms, And we want you to be part of the discussion. So coming up just after 9, phone lines will open up again and we'll talk a little bit more. I'll tell you what, I have had a ton of great conversations this week on the air, but off the air as well. The number of teachers, former administrators, people that have connections with the school system that have reached out. Last night in the evening, I spent 20 minutes on the phone with with one fella, then 20 minutes later, picked up the phone, called another one that had reached out. So the ability to have those types of discussions add so much depth and understanding to this topic. We had Premier Mo on yesterday. That topic and that that discussion with the Premier sparked a lot of people to connect with the show and connect with me to talk about you know how they see the education problem in the province. So we're going to continue that on this morning. It's Friday, by the way, so bugs and hugs every Friday, the opportunity for you to tell us what's bugging you or maybe what you want to wrap your arms around. Let's let's get a few of those on the air today. It's always good to end the week with some positivity as well. Speaking of po- positivity, Belton Johnson's got a soup recipe for us, and it's eating time. And we're going to talk about the declining number of NHL players who come from the province of Saskatchewan. Captured in a new book, the author of the book will be joining us a little later on this morning as well. Time now for The Big Talker. Let's get down to business, shall we? Welcome. Let's begin. The Evan Bray Show. The Big Talker. Well, we've got, uh, of course, the James Smith Cree Nation and Weldon inquiry into the death of 11 people that were killed back on September the 4th because of the actions of Miles Sanderson. This inquiry has been going on. The inquest is is basically a discretionary inquest that Chief Coroner Clive Wayhill called, wanting the province to better understand some of the challenges, some of the investigative efforts that went into not only responding to the crimes, the murders that happened on that morning, September the 4th, but also, of course, the subsequent investigation into locating Miles Sanderson and the arrest. Of course, Miles Sanderson died a short time later. And so this has been quite an informative week for the province as we learn more and more. And 980 CJME senior reporter Lisa Schick has been on location in Melfort, the scene of the inquest, all week long and joins us again live this morning. Lisa, thanks for taking our call. Yeah, good morning. So this is now, we're, we're almost done one full week. Yesterday was another long and full day and it started off with uh, RCMP testimony. Is that, is that what continued? Yeah, the um, commander or the, I guess, the staff sergeant who had been in command of the Melford RCMP detachment spoke first. He talked about, you know, what it was like that day, the call that he got early in the morning, getting out there and trying to help out with the scene. So 
There was lots of emotion yesterday, including by the police officers that were testifying. We saw that the officer came out. I think that's part of what we're seeing here. Anytime police respond to a scene, uh, they've got tough decisions to make. And in a situation like this, sitting in the inquest, they get to see firsthand the emotion this brings out of the family and the community. And, and that clearly has to be tough for them. Yeah, you know, um, this staff sergeant, he was explaining, you know, he got out there, he was sent to a couple scenes because there was somebody else in charge at that point. And he talked about, you know, passing this school bus that was at the side of the road. It was in the ditch. It was still running. But he felt that there were other places he needed to be. He knew that there were scenes where there were people who were hurt. There were people who were killed. So he was heading there. And as we know, it turned out that Earl Burns Sr. was in that school bus. And uh, there are uh, some families of some of the, the people who died who have standing. They're able to come up and ask questions of the witness. And one of Earl Burns Sr.'s daughters is one of those people. She came up and she was asking questions about why didn't you or someone else check that bus quicker? Why did that happen? And he did. He got emotional. He said, you know, I, I had other places that I thought I should be. I wish that I had checked it sooner. And he apologized to her. And he said, you know, uh, Earl Burns Sr., he was a veteran. Uh, that staff sergeant had been in the military for a couple of years. And he said, you know, I consider all veterans my family. And, and he got choked up and he said, I wanted to be there. I wanted to be at the funeral, but he just wasn't able to. There were a lot of tears. Yesterday. Yeah. You know, it's, I'll tell you, this, this process, this inquest shows the humanity behind policing it's it's actually something i'll tell you as a former police officer i'm quite happy to see how this happens because these women and men that work in police services that respond to situations like they did on that fateful day on james smith cremation it is this is not they're not robots they're not soldiers they're people and they respond towards how they're trained and often how they're trained sometimes in hindsight doesn't make sense to family and community. Like I know yesterday, Lisa, they talked about the decision not to have ambulances go straight to the houses. They actually had them staged at a safe location, correct? Yeah, they had the ambulances and, and you know, stars, and they had the triage center at the band office. And there were some questions about why would you do that? Why didn't you let the ambulances go to these houses where these people were lying, hurt and dying? And the RCMP officers, a couple of them tried to explain, you know, we didn't know where the suspects were at that time. They thought it was more than one. They didn't know where they were. They didn't know if they were in the woods, if they were still on the First Nations. So their decision was to keep everybody at the band office, have the hurt come to them. Sometimes uh, officers would go clear houses, see if they could find people. But they said if they had let the ambulances go to the houses, they would have had to put officers with those ambulances to escort them so they thought it was safer to keep them all in one spot 980 cjme senior reporter lisa schick is joining us this morning so we also heard yesterday at the inquest uh, testimony from two pretty important people the common law spouse to miles sanderson and damien's wife as well how did those testimonies how did they go and how did they differ you know, those were among the most difficult testimonies that we've heard so far, even above some of the descriptions of the actual crimes and the crime scenes. Um, Miles Sanderson's uh, spouse, Vanessa Burns, she described the abuse that she suffered at his hands for more than a decade of their relationship, physical abuse, emotional abuse. 
the manipulation that he put on her to keep her with him and around their kids, their five kids. She did end up supporting his bids for parole a few times, sending letters. She says she feels like he used her just to do that. And she said that there was an attack just a couple days before the killings, and she described it in a lot of very grim detail. And Damien had to come and help her. Miles' mom came out to try to help her and get her away from Miles. She also described after that she knew what happened when she knew that he was on the run. She was terrified that he was going to come after her. And she went with some cousins. She went to another city, and she was basically hiding out. And Sky uh, was was obviously giving giving description of Damien in the days that led up to that. It seems the more we learn about Damien and and his role in this, he was he was the one person that knew the danger Miles presented very clearly and was was trying in some ways to stop it. Am I correct in that? Well, you know, Sky said everybody knew how how maybe dangerous, but how aggressive Miles could be. She says a lot of people in the First Nation didn't like it when he was there. But, yeah, there were, there were descriptions of, of, you know, Damien, while he could be abusive to Sky as well when they, were, when they were drinking or when they were doing drugs, she said that he also stood up for Vanessa. He would step in when he saw Miles attacking her and, and try to help her and save her. And there was some... Um, description of their relationship as brothers and he didn't really like when miles would come around but miles would come say you know we're going to go do brotherly things and yeah we do know that damien at that first house that they went to right as the killing started he stepped in and he stopped miles from attacking uh, another man and it was after that that they got into a fight and and damien ultimately was killed we move on today and next week now to kind of the next phase of this inquest. What do we have on the schedule for the day today? Uh, today we are expecting to hear from the head of the security team at the James Smith Cree Nation, which was created uh, after the killing started. We're expecting to hear from another RCMP witness. I mean, the coroner said yesterday, you know, from this point, that's probably the worst of the testimony we're going to hear. Now we start getting into some of the drier things, things like pathologists, forensics, people who are going to describe in very minute detail some of the evidence that they have that, you know, proves what they're saying, that they say supports the version of events they've been telling us. Talking with Lisa Schick this morning, senior reporter, do you think we will see the crowd, the number of people there start to wane a bit now that we've gotten through this first part, which is the actual account of what happened in that first response? You know, I don't know. I mean, certainly there will still be family members who are going to be there because they do have that standing. They're going to be able to ask questions if they come up. But there's a lot of interest from the communities in what's happening here. They want to know the details. They want to know exactly what it is that happened because they need to know for their healing. You know, the uh, the coroner, as you mentioned, said the worst of the evidence is over now. How are you doing, Lisa? You've sat through a week of this. You investigated uh, from a reporting standpoint as this unfolded back in 22. You're there now to hear it. Is this Does this weigh heavy? You know, this stuff, it certainly can be difficult to hear. I mean, you hear these women talking about the horrible things that they dealt with. You hear these families 
explain their loss and and they're crying in front of you saying, I lost my sister, I lost family, I lost friends here. But ultimately, it's, you know, it's not about how I'm feeling right now. It's about them. This is what happened to them and their community. It's about their hurts and, and how they're trying to recover. Appreciate you uh, giving us the daily updates, Lisa. I know you'll be there today. A uh, bit of a break over the weekend, and then we'll be back on with week two next week. Thanks again, and we'll be talking on Monday. Thanks. 980 CJME senior reporter Lisa Schick. And by the way, you can follow Lisa on social media if you like. She's on uh, Twitter providing regular updates throughout the day as well. So you can uh, link on to that if you'd like to get more up-to-date information uh, throughout the uh, the testimony that happens today. I got a question too yesterday on the text line wanting to know what would be available online after the fact. So after the fact, I actually had a quick talk with uh, Chief Coroner Clive Wayhill on the phone the other night, and he said this evidence that's that's being presented is not then put online. Basically, all that goes online on the coroner's website is what the recommendations will be that come from the jury. So at the end of it, there'll be recommendations. Clive Wayhill, the chief coroner, will write a letter to the agencies that are directed by the recommendations. And then any follow-up correspondence that comes back from those agencies, which would include the RCMP, potentially social services, that response as to what they will do based on the recommendations will also be posted on the website. So coroner's website will be your resource after the inquest is over for any of that information. You're listening to 980 CJME and 650 CKOM. Well, we learned yesterday the teachers are taking another day to strike. That's going to happen on Monday. They just announced that at 1 o'clock yesterday in their news conference. And as a result of that, of course, parents will be making some adjustments. Kids won't be going to school. So as a result, there's some decisions that people have to make, whether they stay home from work, whether they look at childcare. There's a variety of different things and, and complexities that play into that. But all of this to try and find a way to get resolution in the bargaining process for teachers in the province. We had Premier Scott Moe on yesterday who talked about the fact that both sides are still quite far apart. This isn't an easy resolution. He talked about that distance at the bargaining table. Clearly, right now, they aren't wanting to get into some sort of an arbitration situation. However, when they're that far apart, I don't know how you do it anywhere else. And and this whole conversation, I think, has opened up so many different avenues when it comes to education in the province, how it's funded, and we're going to talk about that coming up just after 9, what testing looks like in classrooms. I just had a conversation last night, and I'm going to refer to that. And, in fact, the, the fellow that I talked to gave me the ability to use his name, which I appreciate, because I know sometimes it's tough for people that work in the system. We will talk about that. We'll talk about classroom complexity. And I want you to weigh in on this as well. So the phone line will be open for you, one 332 8255 Education, teachers, and you. That's the discussion after 9 on 980 CJME and 650 CKOM. Friday morning, and thanks so much for joining us today. We're talking a whole bunch of different topics today, but we are starting off pretty much where we left off yesterday, talking about teachers, talking about education, and we want to take some time to let you weigh in on this as well. So the phone lines are open for you, one 332 8255 What do you think is the problem with education in Saskatchewan? That's what we're asking. Please Feel free to call in. So 
An interesting thing happens as we talk about this, and we have been now for quite some time, but this week we had the Premier, we had the Minister of Education, we had the Education Critic, we had, of course, Samantha Beacott, the STF President, and a couple of speech-language pathologists. Like, we've had a lot of experts on the show in different areas, right? They bring their their leadership role to the discussion, we've talked about it. We've also had many of you calling in and weighing in, many of you retired teachers, for example, or people that have worked around education in their life. The interesting thing that started to happen over the last couple of days is I've started hearing off the air from teachers. Because don't forget, teachers right now are teaching. And so their ability to sit, listen, and communicate during this show, of course, is quite limited. So what's what's started to happen is emails have come in, phone calls have come in, wanting to talk about this from the standpoint of teachers and what they see. And, I mean, it's interesting because this has taken on so many different angles. So last night, I actually spent 20 minutes on the phone talking with a fellow by the name of Tom Hobbolt. And Tom said, you know what? I have no problem with you using my name. And it started out with an email that Tom sent me yesterday basically saying, Here's my take on where things are at on education. So Tom, just for reference, spent 35 years in education in Saskatchewan. He's a teacher. He did some high school math and science. He was a principal, curriculum coach, uh, technology coordinator, and a superintendent when he actually ended up retiring. And now he's a principal in Alberta. Said, you know, like so many people, Evan Bray included, retire from one job and think, you know, I can't stay retired. I've got to do something. And so he jumped right back into it. And now he's a principal in Alberta. But the thing, the conversation I had with Tom and the email that he sent me, I think pointed out some really good things. Number one, these PISA scores. So Tom provided me with some results that, that show this has been an ongoing problem for quite a while. In fact, if you look back at PISA scores from 2006, We were significantly below the Canadian average then on things like math and reading and to a lesser degree science. So this isn't a new phenomenon for us. This is something that's been going on for a while. The notion of standardized testing, testing, I, you know, I thought Tom really brought a great perspective on this. He talked about the fact that now that he's in Alberta, and by the way, you remember yesterday, I think it was Jack and Lumsden that called in and said, What are other provinces doing? Like, let's look outside of our province and let's find out. So Tom Hobbolt, who I talked to last night, brings some perspective. He's saying in Alberta, they use a provincial achievement test, a PAT system. That's how they diagnose and build on the strengths of math, ELA, social and science. And those PAT tests are done regularly with Alberta students in grades 6 and 9, and they help determine if students are learning what they're expected to. They report to Albertans on how well students have achieved based on a provincial standard, and they assist schools, of course, in monitoring and improving student learning. So that whole notion of standardized testing, which has, I think, become part of the conversation here as well, Tom weighed into that. Tom actually is like many that I've spoken to. And of course, this is, this becomes a bit divisive within STF, but they're saying classroom size and complexity is 100% a problem, but likely not something best dealt with in the collective agreement. I think we're seeing the STF trying to deal with it in the collective agreement because it, it's been ignored and, and there's a feeling like it's too big of an issue not to handle. 
You remember I asked Samantha Beacott, is there a possibility it could be handled to your satisfaction, but outside of the collective agreement? And basically she said, I don't have trust that that will happen. So Tom talked about that last night when we talked about it. We talked about funding and this became an issue. I had the premier on yesterday and the premier was talking about the fact that in, in his view that the Saskatchewan government has funded education. If you look at it per capita, so per population of the province, uh, we, we lead the country. Now there's a lot of people and we'll weigh into this more and more as the morning goes on, but there's a lot of people that are saying that's not the standard measure. Right. It's usually funding per student, perhaps, because if you do it, you know, funding per capita, you're 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 using people that are, you know, senior citizens, people. It it just isn't the standard way to measure how funding is applied to education in different provinces. And so we stand out as a bit of an anomaly if if we use a measure that isn't standard. Tom talked a little bit about that. And basically, Tom's saying the Ministry of Education is driven too much by financial accountability and not educational outcomes. And I think I'm hearing that from from other teachers. I heard from Ron, Tom, Teresa, Linda, Tara, Sandra. I've got emails and texts from all of these teachers who are weighing in and I think providing some very logical, sound explanations as to why we're at the situation that we are today. So we're throwing it out to you, one 877 332-8255. What do you think is the problem with education in Saskatchewan? I've got Matthew in Swift Current. Thanks for calling in, Matt. What do you think is the problem? I think it has a lot to do with the uh, the centralization of power um, and how the budgets are applied to different divisions. You know, what works in Swift Current might not work in, or sorry, what works in Regina doesn't necessarily work in Swift Current. Uh, for instance, you know, the, the, the more rural school divisions have a lot more transportation costs. Um, they have to spend a lot of money on keeping buses going, maintenance, all that kind of stuff, uh, as well as distributed infrastructure. You know, it's, it's one thing if you've got, um, you know, maintenance professionals in one location, but they have to service an area that is a two-hour drive in any direction. Um, there's, there's a lot of additional costs there that you can't just solve by saying, let's throw more money at the, the, the education, the teaching side of it, we also need just larger budgets in the schools, and I know that's been talked about a few times. Appreciate that uh, point of view, Matthew. I, you know, part of the challenge is, and people have brought this up as well. In fact, uh, in an email that I got just this morning from Sandra, she talks about the fact that prior to 2009, school divisions had the authority and the ability to examine things that were emergent issues, like Matthew's from Swift Current, for example. So there might be an issue in Swift Current that is much different than one in Yorkton or Melfort. And as a result, the local school division, the local school authority had the ability to maybe make a change to taxes in order to fund what those specific needs were. That changed in 2009. Government changed things, stripping school boards of the power to set their own mill rate. And so basically that means that school boards are reliant on the provincial government for funding. And I think, you know, that's math, part of Matthew's point is when you have the same kind of funding model being applied in a uniform manner, it doesn't give the school boards the ability to customize where they want to spend the money. Is that, is that part of the problem? one 332 8255 Let's go to Edwin in Regina. What are your thoughts on this topic? What's the problem with education in Saskatchewan, Edwin? Uh, we lost Saskatchewan values. But furthermore, as taxpayers, we can't be squeezed anymore. We're tapped. We're done. 
uh, if teachers are willing to take a pay cut, we'll hire more teachers. That should solve the problem. That's what they want. So you think you think that the the part of the challenge is the money the teachers are asking for? Well, yes. If they take a pay cut, we can hire more teachers. There'll be less people, kids in the classroom. They'll have to do less work. The STF is is for. the STF. Our Edwin is arguing that at a mean salary of average of eighty eight thousand dollars a year, that they're having trouble attracting teachers and retaining teachers, and they're losing them. So, if you cut that wage back, is that going to cause further problems? Do you think? No, because you're going to do less work. If you've got less kids in your classroom, you're going to do less work. So the t- kids are going to get a better education because they'll be more one-on-one with the teacher. The teachers will have to do less work. Plus, tell me any place else you get a job to get maybe three to three to four months off a year and $88,000 a year. One eight seven seven three three two eight two five five. What are your thoughts? We're asking, what do you think the problem is with education in Saskatchewan? Is it the funding model? Is it, we're talking about complex classroom challenges and, and children that are maybe getting moved from, from one grade to the next without really being able to, to, to do the work in that grade and trying to customize and put together learning groups within classes. It was described earlier this week. We, we spoke with those speech language pathologists and it was described by them like it's kind of like going back to an old, uh, one room school where you had different grade levels within that one room and that teacher taught all those different grades. Even though you might be a grade five teacher or you have a grade six, seven split, you're really teaching more than just two grades because of the complexities, because of the different levels that students are at. You're not just teaching one grade. One eight seven seven three three two eight two five five. Yesterday I, I had the, uh, the, I would call it the the benefit or the um, the honor of of being able to talk to a group of of students out at Melgonia. I went to Greenall High School, their grade twelve law thirty class. Their teacher had asked if I would come out, and I've done that before. Spoke to uh, high school law classes. She's got a great curriculum set up there as part of that provincial law curriculum focused on on a variety of different aspects in the legal system. And so I was out there just after lunch, after the show was over yesterday, went to Greenall High School. And I was there when they announced to the students that there was going to be no school on Monday. Because don't forget, at 1 o'clock yesterday, the teachers made the announcement that they would be striking on Monday. So I'm standing in the classroom when the teacher says, by the way, kids, no no class on Monday. And there was a few, like, cheers, long weekend, that kind of stuff. But it's an interesting dynamic being in a fairly good-sized high school. I think they got 750 kids there. Um, just interacting with the teacher. I had a good chat with the principal at Greenall High School. You know, it's uh, this is a challenging time. It's not, uh, it's not a time to rejoice. The teachers aren't pumped about being out. In fact, I watched as uh, the teacher was, you know, trying to rearrange class assignments and figuring out how they could adjust the schedule based on losing a school day. So it's, you know, tough for parents and we've talked about that, but it's tough for teachers as well trying to rearrange things. This whole education thing is a it's a can of worms that I appreciate you being willing to wade in and dig into. People are waiting on the phone and the text line. We're going to take a quick break. We'll come back and talk more about what you think the problem is with education in Saskatchewan. one 332 8255 More of your thoughts and calls when we come back on 980 CJME and 650 CKOM. 
Well, as we try and figure out the solution to the education problem in the province, there's bits and pieces coming from all different areas. We're talking to teachers. We're talking to politicians. We're talking to you. one 332 8255 Rick is waiting on the line from Saskatoon. Thanks for calling in, Rick. What do you think the problem is with the education challenges we're having in Saskatchewan right now? Uh, I think a lot of it has to do with time and how the teachers really don't take advantage of it, and the province doesn't either. Uh, How about this? Okay. A teacher works a normal year. Okay. They get three weeks vacation. Okay. They can do all of their workshops in the summertime. Uh, which would give more teaching time uh, throughout the school year. Uh, there would be, you know, if they want more money, uh, then they have to give us more. So you're suggesting the teachers might work a 12-month year or on a 12-month calendar, but you wouldn't, you're not expecting students to go through the summer, are you? Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, the teachers right now, of course, they they don't work in the summer, but they don't get paid in the summer either. Uh, so, no, that, well, hang on a second. No, no, they have a choice. They can, uh, they can, they can uh, get their pay distributed over a 12-month period. Not all divisions will do that. Well. Some, some they, might, but not make, all will, Rick. Make, make, make a change. Their pay is now over 12 months. So. Okay. So you're, you're fair, fair point, Rick. And, and, you know, people are, people are texting in saying very similar things. I've got a text here. I'm just going to find it from Damien who said with the teacher's dispute, perhaps discuss the benefits they receive. And then he talks about 1,044 assignable hours over the year compared to 1,800 working hours for the average Saskatchewan citizen. They get some prep time. They get instructional time. They get 11 weeks of annual vacation leave. So again, I, you know, I, I don't know if we can call like the summer vacation leave now i realize there's i can i can already see the phone lines are going to light up on that but but at the end of the day i mean the teachers are off in the summer they're off at at that easter break they've got that time off at christmas that's prescribed time but that summer those summer months i'm saying they're not getting paid for it as you just heard my last caller says well arrange it so that you get your checks you know spread out over 12 months instead of 10 at the end of the day, I mean, they get an annual salary. So I think it's safe to say it's an annual salary, depending on how you want to distribute that, how you want to get it paid. And by the way, the salary, the province has been throwing out teachers make $92,000 a year. The STF is saying they think the mean average is probably closer to 88. But I mean, really, we're not talking about a big difference. The STF is pointing out, though, you need eight years of experience to get there. You don't start there. You start significantly lower than that. And the provincial position when it comes to bargaining is they're offering a 7% raise over three years. The STF is asking for a 2% increase for the next four years. So that would make it sound like they're not far apart on wages, but the STF would also like some additional cost of living projections in there. And the province is saying that bumps it up to 23.5%, and that's not doable in a four-year agreement. So... They're they're not close on wages. At one time, there was there was some star, stories and and reportings out there that they were fairly close on wages. They're really not. I mean, I think it's safe to say they're not close at the bargaining table at all. So where's this going to go? One eight seven seven three three two eight two five five. I've got just a minute and a bit for uh, Phil in Saskatoon. What do you think? Both sides not willing to bend. Is that part of the problem, Phil? 
it's part of the problem. I think uh, the, that the problem could be simplified, and it would it would certainly help. Wages being one thing, uh, which uh, the government is agreeing that uh, they want to they want to deal with at some point. But uh, the other matter is is the all the classroom size and all this other stuff. There's different needs for different people in different areas of the province. And I think there should be a, an amount set aside you know, in the, that could be agreed on at this point as a separate matter and be dealt with by a group of the peers that, uh, that distribute this money where, where it should and wants and really is needed. And uh, if we could break it down to two simple issues, I think it would be, make it a lot easier. Instead of t- trying to take one big bite, take it in smaller bites and try and deal with each problem as as we can. Thanks for calling in, Phil. Well, we are uh, going to take another quick break here. When we come back, we're going to continue this discussion for the next half an hour. I have a guest joining me coming up. I mentioned we've been hearing from lots of, of school teachers. We've heard from lots of people that are saying, look, I'm a school teacher, but I'm on the edge. I'm on the brink of, of quitting and looking at doing something else. We have a school teacher joining us next that did just that. She just basically said after a 12-year career in teaching, I can't do this anymore. There's too many problems. It's too complex. We're not getting the help that we need. And so she struck out on her own. She's doing some literacy consulting on her own. We'll talk with Kathleen Germs, who will join me just after 9.30, talking about the problems as she sees it in the school system and maybe where we need to get to to try and fix them. Right here on 980 CJME and 650 CKOM.